Thanks, John. And uh, thank you, Crossway. Um, yeah, it's great being back. Uh, even hearing about the Mississippi team going out, uh, that was one of our family's favorite trips to be out at. And, uh, you know, we love Pastor Bacon and uh, Carolyn as well. And, yeah, I'm just excited to be able to share God's word with you guys. It's always a privilege to be able to share God's word. But especially here at Crossway, where our family, we've been here uh, prior for about 10 years, uh, as we call it, our home church. So just glad and thankful. Um, so last year, uh, we made, on July 27th, 2022, uh, we, my family, my, myself, Paul, Janet, my wife, and my daughter Lois, who was three at the time, we made the move to New York uh, to pursue a call uh, to become missionaries in New York City uh, with an organization called International Project. And uh, just a little bit of background for International Project, our, our, our whole vision is to reach unreached people groups in the diaspora. And what that means is that uh, unreached people groups are people who have less than 2% access to the gospel, or they, less than 2% of that group has either had access to the gospel or have heard the gospel. And instead of going to a different continent, crossing the ocean, uh, to reach these people, our strategy has been, what we've been seeing is that there's a movement of people moving into urban areas. And whether it's for immigration, for work opportunities, whether it's for refugees seeking asylum, whether it's for international students seeking education, whatever the case may be, people are moving into cities. And uh, the UN, they project that by 2050, over 70% 70 70 of people will be living in urban areas. And so our strategy has been to receive these people, to plant churches and to plant missionaries in those specific areas, to share the gospel with them with the hopes that they accept the gospel, we could train them, they go back into their communities, back into their people groups, knowing the language and the culture, and they can begin to share the gospel and to plant churches there. So we've been there for about one year now. Again, July 27th marks the one year, and we're just... So excited for what we've been seeing in the past year. Uh, just a couple examples of seeing a, a Tibetan Buddhist in Queens accepting Christ. Uh, or you guys know where Azusa Pacific is, Azusa Pacific University, APU. They sent uh, a, a group of students to Rome, where one of our kind of ministry hubs is. Uh, and they went out and they shared the gospel and they met a Pashtun believer from Afghan, and they shared the gospel with him, and they connected him with our missionaries, and just a few weeks ago, he was baptized and accepted Christ. Um, we have heard stories about a Bengali Hindu from Dallas, and Muslim women living in Brooklyn, and there's just so many stories that we're hearing, even in just this past year, and just the diversity of people that are coming into urban areas and sharing the gospel. We're just, uh, yeah, excited for all that stuff that's been going on, and for me here today, as I reflect on this past year in New York, but also the past three years, so two years even when we were at Crossway and we were thinking through the transition, I wanted to share uh, just a little bit about what we felt like was an overarching, overarching lesson that God was teaching us through this time. And it was one of faith, learning to trust in God. And the passage that we read earlier says Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
you know, for us as believers, in Hebrews 12 also it says that Jesus is our, the author. So he creates and builds our faith, but he's also the perfecter. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. That, so that in the journey, in the life that we're living, he's continually growing our faith. And faith at its core is trusting in God even when you can't see him. Right? That you have a conviction in the unseen. That even when you can't see God, you trust in his word, that his word is true, and you trust in his plan, that it's best for you and it's good for you. And that things, no matter how they play out, that you trust in him. And in that, God is stretching our faith, asking us, do you trust me? Do you trust me in these situations, even though things are unseen? And this morning, I'd like to share some of those lessons that we've experienced and my conviction, and I'm convinced that even for us, what I'm excited about is that if we can build and grow in our faith. You know, the, the goal for me as I'm sharing this is not that you guys would go off and be missionaries or travel across the ocean and you know, give up your, the life that you have right now. That's not necessarily the goal, of course. Maybe God could call you to that. But the goal is that you would simply increase your faith just a little bit more than from what it was before. Because I'm convinced, and even from Scripture, we see that even with the faith as small as a mustard seed, that God can tell, that you can tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it would move, and that nothing would be impossible, and that we would do, be able to do amazing things for God's kingdom with that small amount of faith. And so my prayer and hope is that even as we share our story, as we share about what we've been learning about faith, that you would be encouraged to increase in your faith just that little bit more. And so the first lesson that we learn about faith is that God calls us to live open-handedly, to be open-handed in the way we live our lives, to live in such a way where we say, God, it's up to you to lead us where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, when you want us to do. And it's, it's in a complete surrender before God to put down our ambitions and our desires and to trust in him. And, you know, obviously, there are certain, certain difficulties with that. Um, the ability to be so fluent and available to God's direction and leaning is not easy. Um, especially for us as God, we feel like God calling us out of Orange County, calling us to New York. You know, we, I had basically been raised my whole life after we immigrated from Korea for the last 36 years in Southern California. And my wife, you know, she, we met in college. She lived here for the last 18, 19 years. Um, we had met in college, we got married, we had a kid, you know, we had bought a house, we felt settled, we loved our church community, we had friends. And so for us to hear a call and, and to be open-handed, for God to say, we want you to, I want you to go here and do this, it was hard for us. There, there was a lot of difficulty because of what we were going to lose. And it's also difficult because I love to control things, right? I love to have my one to three year plan. I love to know where we're gonna be in the next 10 years. And I like to do it on my terms. Um, and it's great to plan. I'm not saying don't plan. But to not hold these plans so tightly that you feel like this is the only way to do it and this is the way I need to do it. But to trust in God and to open up your hands, to live open-handedly means to surrender before God and say, I have these plans, but I'm holding them loosely before you. James 4, 13, 15, it says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, 
spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, before we go on, as we just kind of rest in this verse, I, I, I was shocked as I was reading this again, just how real and relevant it was of our society today, right? This was written over 2,000 years ago, and it's, it's things that, it, this is the language that we say in our lives all the time, right? I'm going to work my tail off and retire early, and then I'm going to devote the rest of my time to my kids or philanthropy or the church. I'm going to start serving a church or I'm going to finish college at 22. I'm going to get a job at 23. I'm going to get married at 26. I have kids at 28. I'm going to buy my first house at 32 and then so on and so forth. We make all these plans for ourselves. And we hold on to these plans so tightly as if our desires are the truth, that is, as if it's the word of God, right? And we pursue it with all our might. And to that, James says, why do you do this? Why do you do this to yourself? Why do you place yourself in the seat of God? And you make decisions as if you were God. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so instead, he says, instead you should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And to live open-handedly. And it's not, to, again, it's not to not plan but it's to live open-handedly. Now, the passage that really kind of clinched our decision to step out, not necessarily even to go to New York, but to step out at Crossway, was uh, the story of Abraham. And in Genesis, God calls Abram at the time. His name was Abram, later changed to Abraham. God calls Abram to go to leave his country, and he says, the promise is, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to, you know, to go out to a place that is unknown. And his, I have this plan for you. In Hebrews 11, 8, 9, this is what he says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. The author of Hebrews says that God called Abraham to go, but he did not know where he was going. And that passage really resonated with us because when I had told Pastor Steve that we were stepping out of Crossway, and this was a year and a half ago, he said, oh, okay, like, where are you going? And I just said, I don't know. (laughs) And he just looked at me kind of funny, like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, that's, you know, and and there's a certain irresponsibility to that. You know, you you think, like, why why would you not have things lined up? And, And there's... By the world's standards, it it feels foolish. But this is something that we felt convicted about, that we felt like God was calling us to. And so we stepped out in faith. And the idea is just to live open-handedly, to trust in God, even when you can't see what that next step is, right? It's the conviction of things unseen. If I had an amazing job lined up and it was paying $500,000 and I had great vacations and I I took that job, would that really require faith? (laughs) Not really, right? It, it, it took faith to step out to a place that you don't know where you're going, right? Now, as you're hearing this, maybe some of you guys are in a transition period and you're thinking about leaving your job or whatever it is, and you're thinking, wow, this passage is really, or this sermon is really resonating with me, and I'm ready to leave my job, I'm ready to leave this relationship, or I'm, I'm ready to leave whatever it might be. 
But it's not that simple as well, right? God calls us to go, but not always. There are times God calls us to stay, and there are other times when God calls us to wait. Uh, when the Israelites had escaped Pharaoh and Egypt and, you know, the whole let my people go thing with the ten plagues, they, they ran off, and Moses was leading them, but the way they were actually led was by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And any time the pillar of cloud went, they followed. Any time the pillar of cloud turned left, they went left. And at nighttime, when the pillar of cloud stopped, they stopped. And what we see is that two years later in Numbers, that it's the same case, that they're wandering around the desert, they have no idea where they're going, and still they're following this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. In Numbers 9.22, in verse 23, it says this, Now whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there. The people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. God was building in them the ability to trust in him to, to, as he led them through the wilderness, through, through the desert. And what's crazy about this story is that they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. So for 40 years, the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of cloud by night, going, and sometimes they would stay at that camp for two days, a few months, a few years. But they were waiting to get to the promised land for 40 years. Now, some of us, were, that's unfathomable, right? We think about two weeks, three months, and we're just like, I need to figure out what's happening next. And yet in that time, it wasn't a waste because in those 40 years, God was preparing them, stretching them, molding them to be ready to enter into the land that he had called them. I mean, think about it. Right when they had left Pharaoh and Egypt and God had parted the Red Sea and there was this amazing miracle, one of the first things that they do is that when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the commandments, they build an idol. They had their rebellion. They had things that they had to learn and sort through. And even for our lives, even for myself, as I had left Crossway and I'd, I told Pastor Steve I'm stepping down and we ended up uh, stepping down in uh, April, there was a period of time where I felt like God had to mold me and shape me and refine me, that he had to take away some things uh, that I believed that were not true, that he had to purify me from my impurities and my sin and my uh, sinful actions and thoughts. And then he had to build in me his heart, his purpose, his values, his vision for what he wanted. And it took a long time. It took, I, I so initially we had stepped out and I thought, you know, we would take a three-month sabbatical and it would be nice, go on vacation and do all these things. And my wife said, that's great, you can do that, but after three months, you're going to get a job. Regardless of what it is, you're going to work at McDonald's. It doesn't matter, you're getting a job. And so I said, okay. And those three months ended up being 15 months until we landed in New York. But even in that waiting, 
you know, as that cloud was not moving, God was working through that time. And so for us, sometimes in transition, as you're thinking about the next steps, maybe you feel this itch and you feel like, I need to go. But there are times when God calls you to wait and to stop and to be stretched. Um, so the million-dollar question then is if, you know, God can call us to go, God can call us to stay, God can call us to wait, how do we know when to wait, when to go, or when to stay? Now, there are moments in life when, and it would be easy if it was always like this, where God just speaks in an audible voice, right? Breaks through the heavens, shines a bright light on you, you go blind, and God tells you, you need to do this. You need to go here, and this is when you need to do it, right? We would love it if that happened all the time. But that, unfortunately, is not always the case. What we've experienced is that that is usually not the case. And what we see is that there's oftentimes when God is gently nudging us and, and leading us patiently. Um, if you remember <clears throat> Elijah the prophet, at one point he was so depressed and lost and uh, King Ahab and Jezebel were chasing after him. They wanted to kill him and he was just filled with anxiety and stress and depressed depression. And he was up in a cave on a mountain and he's asking the Lord to speak to him and what we hear is that there was this, this strong wind that came through. And that wind rumbled to the point where the mountain broke and the rocks and stones fell. But the, pas- the passage says that the Lord was not in the wind. And then a huge earthquake comes and shakes the mountain. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was an entire fire that came and ravaged the land. And yet the Lord was not in the fire. And then came the still, small voice. And that's where God spoke to Elijah. And I think oftentimes this is how we've experienced God's voice. That in those silent times where we created space to hear his voice, um, that he has spoken to us, that's what happens when we involve ourselves in quiet times. We create space to hear through prayer and through his word. That's what Sabbath is about, right? God has instituted Sabbath as creation mandate. Even before sin entered into the world, he said, this is what I want you to do. And he didn't need to rest. You know, he was God, but he himself rested on the seventh day to demonstrate that this is what he wanted for us. A space to reflect, to give thanks to God, to understand that you're not independent of him, that you need to trust in him, that you need to walk with him. And he created this space for us. Now, sometimes I wonder, even for us, as we have the Sabbath, as we have this time to come here, you know, how rushed are we? How busy are we? How distracted are we? That even here, we're thinking about the next step, right? That, that, that even the space that God has created for us, there are so many things that have, have, have come up in our lives that keep us away from really hearing that still, small voice. Someone recently gave me this example um, of a car. You know, you get in your car and you're driving. And, you know, when you first drive, you know, things are slow. You kind of see everything. And then you hop on the freeway. And as soon as you hop on the freeway and start speeding up, your peripheral starts to lose focus, right? It starts going, and all that stuff. 
and it's harder for you to see the things that are going on on the side. Now, you have this goal in mind. You have this destination in mind. You're pursuing it, and you're going there. And as you're speeding up, the faster you go, the more the side things become blurry. And I wonder if that's part of, I wonder if that's a testimony of how we live our lives often, where we're so focused on the goal of what we think we need to be doing and where we need to be going, and we're going so fast that we aren't able to see the things in the peripheral. We're unable to slow down and see that sometimes God wants us to get off the 22 and hop on the 5. And sometimes he wants us to slow down and make a right and a left. Sometimes he wants us to stop and look back at our Google Maps and make sure we're going the right way. But we're so focused on reaching that goal and reaching that destination that we don't create that space for us. One of the things that uh, my wife and I, we did that was really helpful is that we were able to create, and this is just a practical application, right? This is not like a biblical thing that you have to do, but we do see biblical practice of this, is, is that we set markers in our lives of when we wanted to take a step back and reevaluate things. So for example, in scripture, we see this when the Israelites celebrate things like Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They, they mark certain days that every year they're going to remember what God has done for them and reflect on how that uh, leads them moving forward. Uh, we also see this in Jacob when he has a vision of angels going up and down a ladder, and this is where God speaks to him, so he creates a memorial there. And so every time he goes back and people go back, they, they know this is where God speaks, and this is where God spoke to our forefathers. And it's a reminder for them to reflect, to look back, but also to look ahead. One of the things that we said to ourselves was that when we first got married, we said, let's take a step back wherever we're at, you know, when our school loans are paid off. Um, because we kind of had a heart towards missions, and we just felt like it'd be a good time to possibly pursue missions at that time because you don't want to have, you know, debt when you're going on missions. And so... We didn't know how long that would be. Um, I didn't know that my wife would actually, after becoming a nurse, pursue another bachelor's and another master's, and there would be a lot longer. And I was still paying off my you know, uh, student loans uh, from seminary. We didn't know how long that was going to be. Uh, but fast forward 10 years later, we knew that she was going to finish her MP school. We knew that we were going to be able to pay it off right when she graduated. And so even two years before that, we started thinking and praying through, okay, when that happens, at that moment, when we have space, what does God have for us? And that began the journey for us, which eventually led us uh, to get out to New York. Now, again, this is just some practical solutions to remind us to set up space. But the question is, how can you create space for yourselves? And I think there are certain times when we're forced into this space, um, you know, when you have a midlife crisis, you know, I think that's what Pastor Steve thought I was having when I told him I was stepping down. He's like, okay, you're 40, you know. Like, yeah. um, and when you start to take inventory of your life or, you know, when someone significant passes away and you, you think about what that future looks like for you now or when you're fired from a job and you're like, okay, well, do I pursue the same career? Where, where do I go from here? And there are certain times you're forced into thinking about things, about these things. But there's also other opportunities where you can be proactive, uh, when you can think through things. Because 
In our lives, there are seasons and there are times when we know that it's, it's kind of predictable, right? So for example, you know, you're finishing your senior year uh, in college and you're thinking through the next step. You know, is God calling you to this internship or this job or maybe a gap year, maybe seminary or missions? What is God calling you to? And, and it's this natural space for you to real, recognize and, and be open to where God's leading. Or maybe you know that the next round of layoffs are coming and you know that you're next. Um, this has actually happened quite a bit in, in our community in New York and the people around who work in the tech industry. They're thinking about what the next step is because they know that the next round of layoffs are coming and they're next. What does that next step look like for you? Or you're engaged and everything is up in the air. Where will you live? What will your new family look like? What kind of values will you have uh, with your in-laws, your finances, um, all of those things? What will that look like? Or when you're about to be empty nesters and you all of a sudden realize you have this extra bandwidth and this time, what will we do with that? Um, or when you're retired and you might not have the same energy, but you have the time and wisdom and possibly the resources, what will you do with that time? And so when you're sitting in the crossroads, this moment of transition, where you can go in any direction, you can go, stop, wait, turn to the left or to the right, how do we spend that time? And really, the question of where you should go and what you, where you should go and when you should go is really tied to what you should be doing, right, or what you feel like God is calling you to do. How do we spend our time? And this is what I want to uh, fi- uh, finish off with, it, with this last point. How do we spend that time? And before, you know, Tim Keller is a, you know, kind of a father figure for pastors and people in ministry in New York. And if you guys know, he just recently passed away uh, in May. But he founded uh, and pastored Redeemer in New York for many decades. And he was, when he was alive, he was asked to create a video for the network of Redeemer churches. um, Just to encourage the pastors and the leaders uh, about this next decade moving forward. And so he created this video. And what was kind of an interesting connection or what was really interesting was that the day that that video was shared at the, at, at the, with, with Redeemer Church was the day actually that Pastor Tim Keller actually passed away. And so it actually ended up becoming his final words to the church. And he shared three pieces of advice. And I think the second piece uh, really resonated with me. And I think it's really applicable and relevant for us here today. Is that he calls the church and the people to live as investors of the kingdom and not consumers of the world. Investors of the kingdom and not consumers of the world. And that is an exhortation that I have for us to hear, that as you're creating space and as you're thinking about that next step and what it will look like and and what might be best for your career or your personal life or what might give you the most comfort or stability, but to also think about how can you become an investor of the kingdom and not a, a, a consumer of this world? How can we live this next season investing your time and resources for the kingdom instead of living to consume? Because it's so easy to be a consumer in this life. And the United States and even Orange County, everything is geared towards our consumption. You know, 
I'm sitting on my toilet, and I'm seeing that the toilet paper is running out. And I can just go to my phone, at the tip of my fingertips, and I can order toilet paper to come. Amazon Prime Day you know, just came up. I know some of you guys bought some stuff that you guys don't need, right? You're just scrolling, and you're like, oh, this Roomba. I don't need a new Roomba, but it's 40% off. I, guess I just got to buy it. The culture breeds desires and consumption. Um, every billboard or advertising is trying to get you to consume but not just your dollars, but also your attention. Right? Even when you look at Netflix, after you finish the episode, what happens? You have five seconds to click you know, the next episode or it's just going to automatically play. It's trying to compete for your consumption, for your money, for your attention, for your life. And the world trains us and disciples us to live as consumers. Everything is consumer-oriented. The customer is always right. And because of that, sacred things become poisoned. Uh, marriages become transactional. Even for church, where you want to go or stay is based on how it's meeting your needs. And we think of as a consumer and not as an investor. And, you know, especially in the in OC, it's, such, it's so easy to be a consumer because I love Orange County. <laughs> you know, coming back from New York, I was just like, oh, wow. This is really nice. Um, it really feels like the world's version of the promised land. The land flowing with milk and boba. Um, where everyone, you know, moves to when they have a family. Um, where everyone wants to be. But faith is the ability to see things that are unseen. Faith is the ability to see the kingdom of God, even when we can't see it here, actively present in Orange County. And the call is not to live as consumers of Orange County, but to live as investors of Orange County. Matthew 6, 9, a prayer that a lot of us probably have said many times in our lives, is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer that we've all prayed, but how much of this prayer is active in our daily lives? That we want to live, the values that we have, the decisions that we make, our actions will reflect the kingdom of God and not the world. We're literally taught to pray this kingdom for, for the, uh, to pray this kingdom come on earth as in heaven, but do our decisions revolve around how we can make an impact in this kingdom, or does it revolve around building a kingdom for ourselves? What would it look like if we invested our lives and our resources and our attention and our time into the kingdom and not become consumers? You know, how would it affect our relationships? How would it affect our friendships? How would it affect our church? How would it affect our community? And, you know, investing is all about ROI, right? Return on investment. And if you invest in stocks or mutual funds, if you've invested in crypto or if you invested in uh, GameStop, you know what's a good ROI and you know what's a bad ROI, right? You know what's a good investment and you know what's a bad investment, right? Hopefully by now you know. Now, it's easy to know what is a good investment in the world because there's a dollar sign, right? And then if that goes up, and if it's in the green, then that's a great investment. If it goes in the red, it's a terrible investment. 
But as investors in the kingdom, as we invest in things that are not seen, as we're investing in people, as we're investing in the kingdom, the ROI might look terrible in the world's standards. But in the kingdom, people are being transformed. People are coming to Christ. And the ROI is eternal. In Luke 15.10, it says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. That the entire crowd of angels, the multitude of angels, when they see one sinner repent, they're rejoicing, they're celebrating. I can't imagine the angels celebrating or re- over you know, my portfolio going up 15%. God calls us to invest in the kingdom. And faith is investing in something that we can't see, the kingdom of God. And we invest in the way we live, the act, and move in light of the current reality. One of the things, um, I was talking to my friend about, you know, kingdom stuff, and he was, oh, actually, no, he was, I'm sorry, that's not at, true, true at all. He was sharing. He was up on a pub, and he was sharing about kingdom. I don't know why I said So he was sharing. And he said this one thing about the kingdom. He said, wouldn't it be cool if our lives were so saturated by kingdom values, living not as consumers, but as investors of the kingdom, and investing in the things that actually matter to God, that when Christ comes back and when we go to heaven, that it would look familiar, that we wouldn't be surprised if we would say, hey, this is the stuff that I've been about. I, I've been investing in all these things, and you're not surprised by what heaven looks like because you're, you've already been investing the things that have been unseen. A.W. Tozer, he says this, and I'll close with this, make heaven more real to me than any earthly thing has ever been. That we would have this faith in God that his words are true, that his plan for us is good, and that he calls us to live for his kingdom, to invest in his kingdom, and not, for, not to build our own kingdom. And the prayer is that heaven would be more real to us than any earthly thing, so that when we enter into heaven, that we'd be, we'd be entering into home. It would be familiar to us. That there would be a comfort to going back home. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you and we thank you that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to offer salvation to us so that he might be the author of our faith and not only the author of our faith, but the perfecter of our faith. That you call us to grow in our faith, in the life that we have, in our journey that we have here to trust in you even when, there, even when we can't see what's in front of us, even though we don't know exactly where you're leading or when or how, but that we would create space to seek after you and that you would speak to us in that still small voice, that you would lead us and that we would walk in faith and that we would even wait in faith but that we would live open-handedly to wherever you lead. 
Now teach us what it means to live as investors of the kingdom and not consumers of the world so that when we enter into heaven, we'd be able to see the kingdom as we understand it by the values that you've instilled in us and that it would be so familiar to us that it would be like us returning home. We thank you for Crossway and the family here that you would increase their faith that they would be able to make a deep impact in the kingdom through their life and sacrifice. We thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name and pray.